0: Dear broadies, before I get to the episode, I want to take a moment to address the June 24th, 2022 Supreme Court decision to overturn Roe v. Wade. This decision stripped away the right to have a safe and legal abortion in the United States. Everyone should have the freedom to decide what's best for themselves and their families, including when it comes to ending a pregnancy. This decision has dire consequences for individual health and safety and could have harsh repercussions for other landmark decisions in this country. Restricting access to comprehensive reproductive care, including abortion, threatens the health and independence of all Americans and people who live in America. Learn more by visiting choice.crd.co. That's choice.crd.co. If you're able to support others, please consider donating to abortion funds. You can find a list of where to donate in each state at donationsforabortion.com. That's donations, the number four, I have personally started donating to states where trigger laws go into effect immediately. Remember, even if you can only spend $1 or $5, that helps. There are things we can do to fight this, and it is going to take continued focus and community support. So I encourage you to speak up, take care, and spread the word. You
1: know, there's little ways in which you can betray yourself. And I think we as a society are so focused on, like, external lies, lies you tell others, that we don't um pay enough attention to like where that comes from like a lot of times I think we tell lies to others because we're afraid to admit to ourselves who we really are
0: hello everybody and welcome to the pod broads this is a podcast about women in podcasting and I'm your host Alexandra Cole Welcome back broadies. Can you believe that it is December? It's kind of mind blowing that we have only one month left of 2021. And I'm just hoping all of us can find the time to rest and honestly heal at least a little bit from this past year before we enter into what feels like a crash landing into 2022. Um, If you missed last week's episode, I did a special recommendation one with six episodes hosted by or including guests who are indigenous women. I hope you'll go check them out and give them a listen. And if you missed my last interview episode, it's with Avery Truffleman, host of Nice Try, which is out for season two right now. And if you don't know about Avery's work yet, just know that she is, as my friend has now named her, quote unquote, radio royalty, which I couldn't agree with more. She is also just a super gracious guest and someone who I feel like I learned from as a host just by listening to her episodes and by observing the way she works. That sentiment is actually a great transition, too, into whose interview you'll hear today, Misha Youssef, another woman in the industry who's been an inspiration to me, not just as someone who creates podcasts, but who runs her own company, which is called Deslight Productions. Misha is a Pakistani American writer, podcast host, and producer. She's been named Adweek's 2019 Producer of the Year. She is the executive producer on Renegades, Born in the USA, and the Michelle Obama podcast. She's the creator and host of Tell Them I Am, a series about the small defining moments in our lives, with all the voices being Muslim. And she is the creator of her autobiographical series, Beginner, which is about learning to belong as an immigrant in America. And it's really the one that started off her journey of podcasting. Now, she most recently hosted and executive produced the podcast, Hello, nature by rei co-op studios and dust Light presented by subaru the show tells the history and present day story of the american national parks through bipoc voices asking the question since the parks are public are they truly for everyone as you can tell she's done a lot of dope work and we actually pretty much touched on each of them in this conversation so it was cool to see how they all weave together and within her personal experience You'll hear, too, in our conversation, my first entry point into her and her work, so I'm not going to give it away here, but I will tell you that we cover some really fascinating things throughout this whole talk, from when she started identifying as a revolutionary to finding that childhood playfulness again in adulthood that so many of us lose to building her company and deciding what she wanted from it and how it actually kind of relates to what she wants in a romantic partner, to dealing with fear and shifting from a scarcity mindset to one of abundance. I mean, there's so much we get into, not to mention the grueling and yet inspiring life changing process of creating Hello Nature and the real work and tenacity that goes into creating a podcast project like this. Her final reflection about her work with that podcast too feels like a perfect leading off point from last week's recommendation episode, so make sure to stick around for that. Now, without further ado, we are going to get right to how Misha introduces her own work and self and identity. Enjoy. So I always like to start off episodes with asking my guests who you are in your work and then who you are outside of your work.
1: Who I like that question. Um, so I'm Misha Yusuf. I am the CEO and founder of Dustlight Productions, which is a mission-driven audio production and training house. And I'm also um, the host and executive producer of "Tell Them I Am," and I'm also the um, host and executive producer of "Hello Nature" from REI Co-op Studios and Dustlight. Um, presented by Subaru.
0: Awesome. And then outside of work?
1: Outside of work? I'm a person. Um, (laughs) Outside of work, I'm a Pakistani-American woman. Um, I think I like to see myself as a very playful, (laughs) not very serious (laughs) type of person. And I think that probably comes across in both my creative work and my leadership style and, and my role in the industry. Um, Mm -hmm. I do, I have recently started to identify myself as somebody who really cares about revolutionizing the entertainment industry, podcasting specifically, but also, you know, really standing up for what, um, what is right, both within the industry. So in my work and outside of it. So I think that that's becoming more and more a part of my identity as a human.
0: I love that. I, Well, first off, I want to say my introduction to you was seeing you do a talk on intellectual property for podcasters. And now I can't even remember how long ago it was. It could have been during the pandemic. It could have been before. I don't know. Um, but I, I remember like I had taken like a shit ton of notes and I was just like, this is amazing. Like I'm getting so much from this. And I was just like super grateful to it and was also like, this chick is a badass. I love like the way that she's talking about this. But what you were just saying about kind of this shift that's happening with how you're you're starting to really identify with revolutionizing the entertainment industry and things like that, I kind of want to ask you like, so when did it really feel like a shift? Like, like, when did you really feel like you were starting to embody that and own that as a part of you?
1: I think that, um, you know, honestly it started during the pandemic and a little bit Mm. before. Um, I think that there are certain moral black and whites or like, um, it, like integrity, I think has always been a really important part of who I am and what I do. And, you know, in my teenage years, it was, <laughs> it was much more slippery than it is, um, <laughs> as an adult and like in my early twenties. But I think a lot of my early and mid twenties were focused on just trying to establish myself in the industry, you know, making work with people I admire and making something really, really high quality because, I didn't want to just be tokenized for being, you know, a brown podcaster. I wanted to also be extraordinary at my craft and develop a really strong, distinct voice. I think after kind of having proven that point or achieved a certain level of success in that um, and feeling respected in the industry as a producer, as a host, as a writer, I started to feel like there were a lot of constraints in like traditional jobs and it started in public radio where i was like i love public radio i love the mission of public radio but i don't actually feel like what i thought was the pinnacle of what i wanted career wise um is an institution that actually upholds its values day to day i i felt it my coworkers felt it mm-hmm. and um you know around that time i was going through a lot of big life changes and i think the first big step in kind of accepting that role as a revolutionary was Mm -hmm. just like accepting that I can start my own thing, that I can build a new system that is a better system. Um, Mm -hmm. And that destroying the old system is only part of the equation. Like the other part is also creating a way forward for the future. And then, um, you know, when you first start a company, like so much of that is like, again, you're establishing credibility. You're trying to show people you're legit. And our first two clients were like really massive. So I feel like as a result of that, like I spent the first year of the company and the pandemic, which happened simultaneously, just trying to show and like build dustlight and and really doing a good job with the Michelle Obama podcast and trying to get a bunch of, um, you know, reputable contracts, make some great shows. And somewhere around the end of year one, um, I realized that I didn't just start a company because I wanted freedom for myself. I started a company because I wanted to build something better for everyone and a North Star for the industry. And Mm -hmm. I think this came about because a lot of people would hit me up asking me for advice because they were thinking of striking out on their own. And a lot of people would be like, well, I'm thinking of starting a production company. And I started to ask them the question of like, why? Like, why not freelance? Why start a company? Like, what is it that you're saying or doing that no one else is doing? Mm. And it made me realize that, like, Dustlight really did have a mission. And, you know, it obviously comes from, like, a broken dream of, like, having been in public radio and feeling like, oh, shit, like, I thought this was one thing. It really wasn't. So how do I do that within a different framework? Um, so I would say for me that identities really started to sink in, like, earlier parts of 2021. And I think now that I have a break from production, it's really starting to become more of my focus.
0: Yeah. I, I love the piece you bring up about mission because it's something that I've been also kind of mulling, mulling over this last year because I've also had the experience of working in a place where I really believed in the mission, but then saw so many ways that it was contradicted behind the scenes and, It was really disheartening and it was kind of my first real, not even first, like I look back at even like college jobs that I had where it's like you first come in and you kind of like drank the Kool-Aid a little bit and then the Kool-Aid starts to sour and you're like, "Mm, that's that's not what I thought it was going to be. And now I find myself very like my initial response to even the word mission is really skeptical like I it it almost like kind of I think triggers me in a way like I even when I start to think about like oh what's the mission of what I'm building and I'm like ooh, can I not even can I call it something different can it just not even be a mission now like maybe it's more like purpose but I just I like that piece of what you brought up and it also makes me wonder like how have you personally like dealt with, I feel like the pressure that comes with naming that mission?
1: Mm, you know, I think that I was really lucky cause I kind of struck out on my own was like, fuck it, I'm starting this company and I'm gonna build a website <laughs> and I'm gonna put together all these documents of what this company is and I'm gonna decide. And whoever Mm. wants to come work with me can come work with me and whoever doesn't, doesn't have to, you know, Mm -hmm. and I obviously had a dream team of the people that I worked with right before at KPCC, who I had the best collaborative experience of my life with up until that point. But I didn't, I didn't put any pressure on them. I had no expectations. I told them, I was like, I think we should start something together. They weren't ready to start something together. So I was like, fine, I'm going to start it on my own. You come with or don't. And you know, when, when we got the Michelle Obama contract, I, I went to them, um, kind of one by one and was able to get a couple of them on board. Um, and at that point I had already put together a website and like worked Mm -hmm. with a designer and come up with like, you know, what I wanted the design to be like, and she had really delivered like very powerfully on that and the mission was just part of that. Like one night I was kind of up late working on like all these documents and I was like I want us to be a mission-driven company. Uh, to be perfectly honest, the whole thing came from one, public radio <laughs> and two, I had been making a list cuz I'd just gone through a breakup of what I mm. wanted in my next partner. And oh. I was like I want someone who's like like <laughs> like mission-driven, you know? Like someone who has like a yeah. really clear intention for why they're on this earth. And they kind of have like a backbone of steel, like nothing can fucking waver them from that. Like shiny objects, career wise, personal life wise, aren't going to just like get them to like float around and lose sight of that. And I was like, that's what I want to be. And that's what I want my company to be in the industry and in in its execution. And so that's kind of how it all came about. And then I just like was thinking of different names and wrote that little blurb that's like on the website under the mission no one edited it like i just wrote it and put it up there really? yeah and you know it resonated it resonated with people and so um we haven't seen a reason to revamp that it's not it's not political it's not um you know i mean it's political i would say in some way but it's not partisan at least it's not divisive mm-hmm. it's uniting and I think it centers on craft and beauty, and and bringing people together and feeling, which are things that are really important to me.
0: Yeah. And and what about the name? Was there? What was the name inspiration? So the
1: name came from um, I I basically had an acid trip, and I <laughs> <laughs> I um, I it was my first time looking at dust. I the, the night before. Um, at the beginning of the trip, I'd like looked at the stars and, you know, like when Mm -hmm. you're on any kind of psychedelic drug, um, things kind of dance or they have like different kinds of patterns Mm -hmm. and behaviors. And, um, I just remember the stars kind of dancing in this like very noticeable pattern. It was really awe-inspiring and beautiful. And the Mm -hmm. next morning as the trip was wearing off, I was sitting on the couch and it was like midday And like 11 a.m. maybe. And um, the dust started like kind of just like circling around me. And I just remember noticing dust in a way that I had literally never noticed it before. Like it had always just been like pesky and gross and like, oh, I got to dust this off or like here's like a little dust that just like floats in front of me but it was like dancing in the same way that the stars were as like the sun was like shining on it. And I Mm -hmm. just never forgot Mm -hmm. that moment. And I think there were a lot of different names I was considering. And I was like, what's something that's just like completely unique? That's like a word that doesn't really exist. And I was like, what's a way to say like, that light that like touches the dust that makes it look really beautiful. And it's not really a real word, but I was like, whatever. Like, (laughs) let's see if the domain name is available. And it was. So I was like, okay, we're doing it. This is what we're going to call it, you know?
0: I, it actually made me think of this question that I wanted to ask you. I don't know if it's a question, but more of an observation. And something that I've noticed is kind of like a through line between a lot of your different podcast that you've hosted and worked on is there are many times where I'm feeling like, like one woman show vibes, very theatrical and like, I, I hope that that's like clear, but I feel like there are these, these ways that when I've, when I've seen one woman shows, I'm like, wow, they're so like, they're doing so much with just themselves and being really like experimental and sound and also like, just really, like, expressive in these different ways. And it was just, it's something that I feel like it's very uniquely you when I listen to your work. And I don't know why, but the acid trip just made me think of, like, just that, like, kind of, like, level of creativity that I feel like gets opened up when, for some people, when they're, like, having different substances. But I don't I don't know. It made me wonder, like, what your influence was in terms of, what I identify as a more like theatrical playful way of working with audio.
1: I think that's a really hard question to answer because for, <laughs> for me, I actually have never looked at my work that way. Um, so it's really interesting to hear that. I think for me, it's really important to t- take things that I'm like really, really excited by and just simplify them and package them in the most beautiful, accessible mm-hmm. way possible And I think around the time that I started making podcasts, which would be like with beginner in 2016, Mm -hmm. 2015, 2016 is like when I was coming into my own personality, like up until that point, I had been a very serious person. I was on a very serious path Mm -hmm. and I didn't have room to like just be and I was discovering that right as I was making beginner. Like that was right before beginner is like when I had had the asset trip and I had gone on this like mm. long meditation retreat and I like, you know, was like living in different places. I'd grown up in LA, but I was for the first time living in Chicago and then in New York and um, I was in a new relationship. There were like a lot of different <laughs> things that I feel like were opening up pathways within me that were helping yeah. me understand myself better. And... I think that that mischief and that playfulness is something that's, like, very (laughs) characteristic of, like, who I was when I was, like, four years old. And I joke around saying Mm. this, but, like, I think my creative and, like, human goal in life is to just be more like I was when I was four. Mm. And... I think the first step to that was just like opening up that playfulness. So I think the the natural extension of that was for that to, in my writing, I think it is very purposeful um, and it was purposeful in beginner. And then in mm-hmm. sound, I think it's just like what your taste is, right? Like what you're drawn yeah. to following that. Um, and then I honestly was like so lucky at KPCC to work with Arwen Nix and, you know, Mary Knopf and James Kim at the time, who all were ready to experiment and play with sound and like whoever's vision it was, we like kind of all threw ourselves behind it and like wanted to help manifest it in in the way that suited their personality and their vision the best. And I feel like I just was so lucky that I had a team that that believed in my vision and wanted to do that with me. And often if you look at like the subject matters that I deal with are like normally really heavy. So I'm like, what's like the antidote to that, right? Like how do we make this like Playful in a way that doesn't seem forced. Um, and then same with like, once I started Dustlight, like the people I've worked with, I think the only thing I've done as a leader is just said, okay, go ahead. Like, I don't, yeah. there are episodes that like, you know, Jonathan Shiflet made incredible things out of sound that were never in the writing, that we never discussed. Mm-hmm. And like, for example, he auto-tuned one of my top stories, the Khalil episode of season two. And it just becomes Mm -hmm. like playful little song. And I remember he sent me like a little snippet of it and he was like, Misha, are you okay with me doing this? And I, (laughs) I heard it and I was like, fuck yeah, dude. Like no one's done it. Let's (laughs) just fucking do it. Like, I think that's the only difference between me and maybe somebody else who, whose work hasn't reached that level of creativity in collaboration. Um, but I can't, I can't take all the credit for it. I think in my writing maybe, um, but even that, like I work with Arwen a lot. Um, in my voicing, I guess I can take I can take all the credit for that. Yeah,
0: yeah for sure. <laughs> but um,
1: it's just – I've just been very lucky to work with people who are like excited about the vision, who hear my voice, and I've been also lucky to be able to develop that voice, you know? It's just an extension of who I am.
0: Yeah. Something you said while you were answering that made me a little curious about – between age four and when you got into like this period of your audio life. And where do you think that playfulness went? Like, why do you think it went somewhere for a little while? And now you're starting to tap back into it in this season of your life.
1: I mean, I think that like it it happens to everybody to some extent. Yeah. I think for me, in some ways it was exacerbated because my family and I moved here to the U.S. very unexpectedly. Um, from Pakistan Mm -hmm. I grew up in Pakistan until I was 11 and I think that you know a lot of people take that experience in different ways I think for me because of the unexpected nature of it because we had such a like well-off comfortable life in Pakistan um, Mm -hmm. coming to the U.S. was the opposite and it was really jarring and it was really scary and we moved to a majority white neighborhood mostly white and Asian not Asian like South Asian like there were very few people who were Muslim or Pakistani. Um, Mm -hmm. and I think that like, I just was, my parents were really fucking stressed out and I, I absorbed their stress (laughs) and I have two younger siblings. I'm the oldest kid. So there's a level of like wanting to be responsible to like hold your emotions in. And you're just so scared of like how all these people that you don't know, you don't know anything about their culture. Like, how are they going to perceive you? You know, when Mm -hmm. you like let go and let loose and Um, it was like this combo of taking care of my family and maybe I didn't need to, I mean, my parents were taking care of us, just internalizing that. And, and also just being afraid of how I would be perceived. I think that made me very serious.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. I, I remember there was one episode that I was listening to of beginner where you were talking about like how you kind of ended up telling a lot of these little lies and it was, you know, lies of like not wanting people to know that maybe you didn't know how to do something or, you know, like trying to assimilate, trying to like be like everyone else who was around. And um, yeah, that was just one of those moments that stuck out to me because I feel like sometimes lies is one of those things that we can talk about in really like black and white terms. And it's it's something that has a lot of nuance, especially in a situation like that, that someone might not think of if that wasn't their experience.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think that you know, there's little ways in which you can betray yourself. And I think Mm. we as a society are so focused on like external lies, lies you tell others, that we don't um, pay enough attention to like where that comes from. Like a lot of times, I think we tell lies to others because we're afraid to admit to ourselves who we really are,
0: you know? Yeah, I definitely agree with that. So I have news. I am in love And it's with August period products. And at the risk of TMI, it has been a long time since I have felt comfortable on my period. I have really sensitive skin and pads and tampons have consistently made me feel more irritated. And it wasn't until I found out about August that I learned that these period products that many of us have been using for a long time have these toxic plastics in them. Then the first time I used an August product, I immediately noticed a difference. The August ones are 100% organic cotton and they are so comfy and soft and gentle on my skin during an already not exactly relaxing part of the month. Plus, I learned that most period products take five to eight centuries to decompose. Like, what? But August pads are fully biodegradable in six to 12 months. August is changing the narrative to establish that periods are powerful. After all, periods make human life possible, and I definitely believe and agree that it's about time we have an inclusive brand that is committed to more sustainable, absorbent, comfortable, and even impactful period care. They are affordable, you can purchase them on an as-needed basis, or you can sign up for their monthly or quarterly subscription service. Plus, every purchase with August, they donate products and 10% of their profits to their nonprofit partners to serve menstruators in need. And you can receive 10% off your purchase by entering my code PODBROADS10. Check out itsaugust.co today or find them on social media at itsaugust and start feeling more comfortable on your period. I know I finally do. I wanna ask you about Hello Nature, since that's your newest project that has come out and I've I've been listening to it and really enjoying it. And you know what we were just talking about, like a lot of fun with sound. I was like laughing at like the little like skit moments of like what was it? I think of the dust particles or that <laughs> we're like talking to each other. And so it's just it's a lot of fun to listen to. And I also just on a personal level. I'm stoked to see which other ones you include because the first one is Yosemite, and that's like one of the few national parks that I've actually been to, and I went there when I was eight, and you I remember you're talking about your like knee pro your like just healed knee and you're really like nervous about it, and I was like, oh, how weird I like fell on a trail when I was eight and like gashed my knee open while I was in Yosemite, <laughs> and I was like it just like brought me back um but uh yeah I was and then like Big Bend is a place that like my grandparents talk about a lot like I have a sister who goes her like thing is going to like out into nature and really like being out there. And we were kind of laughing before we hit record about really long, arduous trips. And you even express on the podcast, you're like, it's not really like my jam to like sleep out in the wilderness. And I was like, I feel you. Um, So I definitely want to hear like any behind the scenes stuff that you want to share of just like what that process was like to do a project like that. Yeah. We'll start there.
1: <laughs> I mean, here's the thing. I would definitely do it again. I just said, like, I don't recommend yeah. it. I know it's super hard, <laughs> but I would for sure do it again. It was completely life-changing. You know, I, I I feel like there are things that happen in your life where you're like, okay, this is definitely changing the way I look at the world and myself. Mm-hmm. And this was one of them. Um, It was a lot of fun. We, like, made a lot of friends, you know, like, went out, like, in between the different um, locations. We like like when do you get to become friends with like park rangers in the parks, you know, like got to see all kinds of cool things, do hikes off the beaten path um mm-hmm. got lots of bug bites like it, it was it was <laughs> it was all the things that you hear on the podcast,
0: yeah, I want to know one of the things I want to know is for the people who really don't understand how sometimes these things get made, like what does? A daily schedule actually look like when you're on like location for creating this and I I say I mean you can go beyond daily but I know it's it's not always the same but like how many hours are you spending like are you doing nights because I know there's sometimes you shoot at night and uh, like when you're out in the desert so yeah what's the what's the physical toll that's
1: extreme Being very taken extreme to do this. Yeah. yeah no it was a lot and i think that was the thing that you know coming out of it i'm like that's the lesson learned is like we definitely didn't understand the extent of i, I think we planned it a bit like two friends going on a road trip when it was actually like mm-hmm. like two colleagues working for six weeks yeah. straight and there were no weekends there were no nights off everything we could record we recorded um, there were actually times where I felt very frustrated and wanted to not record things because I just wanted to be and actually enjoy parts of the trip because I was like the fuck like I just want like <laughs> one night where yeah. I can have like my dinner in peace you know yeah um, but we recorded almost everything we could um, I would say we were always on like except for when we were like in hotels at our rest stop so we had like every two parks we had a rest stop um, I would say we were pretty much always on. And like the days off that we had outside of like whenever we were staying at a rest stop, which was usually one or two nights max, we were driving, like we were driving anywhere between like six to 20 hours, um, like switching off shifts. So it was really exhausting. We would start a lot of days really early at like five or 6 AM, um, seven or eight at the latest. And we would, you know, meet up with, someone um a ranger or a scientist or a tour company leader or whatever and we would interview them and then at the same time we had a few meetings planned with the team back home um jonathan did all the hard work of like uploading the tape um categorizing it getting it to them they were transcribing it back home and like organizing it and starting to like come like figure out what we were gathering And then we would have Mm -hmm. meetings with them a lot of times at rest stops on our nights off, quote unquote. And we would be talking about like, okay, this is the next park we're going to. Like, what do we need to do? These are the parks we just came from. Like, here's what we didn't get. Who can you book? Who do we have already before we went on the trip? Um, How can we like kind of start to structure this? Like, there's a lot that had to happen while we were still on the road in terms of planning and discussing with the team. And then you know, sometimes we'd like spontaneously be introduced to someone. So like for the Big Ben episode, meeting Stephen Hummel happened all that day. Like that was Mm -hmm. all completely spontaneous. Our REI executive producer, Chelsea Davis was like, you got to go to McDonald Observatory while you're there. And I was like, oh man, like we really didn't plan for that. If we're going to go, we might as well interview somebody. And so like, you know, reaching out to people while you have no service. Um, like trying to to (laughs) book an interview, yeah, like you have to drive (laughs) out somewhere where you can have some service so that you could book this interview. So it was, it was very high stress. Um, and it was really hard. And I think it definitely informed like how we would plan a trip like that in the future, but it's a completely different kind of high. Like for me, I'm an extrovert. Like I loved meeting all these people. It was so much fun. Um, I love traveling throughout the whole country. I like just developed so much wanderlust. I was like, oh my God, I got to travel more. Like I want to be everywhere, you know? Um, So yeah, that's kind of how, how that kind of toll that it took, but also it had so many highs. It was
0: worth it. Cool. I I like, I like hearing about that stuff and I just feel like, not everyone who listens like always really gets how much is actually going into the behind the scenes stuff especially for a project like that and like I don't like I'm one of the like I don't I know that work goes in but I'm like but what actually does that look like uh there's I can't remember who said it but um there was one person that you were like interviewing when you're out at night and you get into this conversation about fear and like kind of these different kinds of fear um, and the kind of fear that comes up when it's like totally just like, like almost just like pure animalistic fear, you know, from when you're just out there like alone. I thought that that was a really cool moment. And it made me want to ask you like, how, how has your relationship with fear been since having had that experience? Has it changed at all? or? Are there different ways you identify it now?
1: I mean, I think I'm just more observant of it. There's no way that you can make it go away, right? We have like, yeah, we have all kinds of different triggers and traumas that we've gone through and they make different, and there's different stresses in our, stressors in our life at different points. So there have been times mm-hmm. that I've been alone in my house um, and like, you know the whatever random noise of the stove is like very clearly the random noise of the stove and then there have been nights where i'm like oh my god someone's breaking in like i'm so scared where's my where's my aluminum bat like yeah (laughs) but i think that there's that just ebbs and flows um i do think that like being outside at night and like bugs and bees and Um, lizards and all kinds of like little creatures that I feel like I was so wary of in the past like Mm -hmm. I'm not as worried about a bee sting you know I'm not worried Mm -hmm. about like an ant crawling on me or a mosquito biting me Um, I can kind of withstand that Um, I'm still afraid of mountain lions and bears like
0: (laughs) (laughs) I think that's a good thing like probably yeah
1: but I'm definitely like I'm, I'm more excited to like go out and go backpacking with a couple of friends like I'm less scared of trying things like that. And I'm traveling alone, um, outside the country for the first time in a few weeks, I'm going to Turkey. So I think there's definitely Mm. been a level of like wanting to try new things that I previously was scared of, you know?
0: Yeah. Were there things like just kind of bringing it back to, you know, starting this company and kind of going out on your own, were there fears that you dealt with that to me are less tangible fears? I don't know, like imposter syndrome type fears or thoughts like that that came up. I mean, I think, I think you know, I was really clear on what I did and didn't know.
1: Like, I didn't know how to manage finances. I didn't know how to run operations. I've never been a CEO before. I knew all of that. I was flying by the seat of my pants, and I was going to learn on the go. So, mm-hmm. yeah, there was a level of like, oh, I have no fucking clue what I'm doing, but I wasn't scared. Like, I knew that that was part mm-hmm. of the part of the game, and I had made peace with that. Like, I was very much okay with. It all going to shit and not working out. Um, I think the greatest fear that I have now and that I had at that time, like a true fear was just like falling out of line with my integrity and that like power mm. and success getting to my head, um, and disappointing my collaborators. And it's still a fear. like my biggest heartbreaks are heartbreaks where like things don't work out with a collaborator. You know, it's not, not making money a month or like not not getting a certain project or whatever like I don't or not getting a certain number of downloads I don't care about
0: that I like that I also definitely resonate with the part about that fear of falling out with integrity or, or having a situation where it's it's not as black and white as you want it to be and trying to navigate like what is the right choice in alignment with me and my values like and you know, the people that you don't want to let down and that kind of thing. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I think the hardest, the hardest instances are where like, what's in alignment with your integrity and standing up for yourself pushes certain people away that you considered, you know, valuable or important. And I think that that, um, I think that's a very nuanced area that like now is starting to come up more and more. Um, Mm -hmm. and I'm, yeah, I'm just like trying to learn,
0: trying to learn as I go. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. I, I'm i in the same boat. Um, and actually, while we're talking about this, I, I had wrote down a, this was perfect timing. I wrote down a tweet that you tweeted last night because I was like, oh my God, yes, same. <laughs> like I was just like, I was like, gosh, the serendipity of timing that I'm going to be talking to Misha tomorrow and she just tweeted this. I was like, I have to ask her about it, but I want to read it real quick so my listeners can hear it. You say someone shared something with me today similar to some of my work and said they're trying to steal your lane. My lane is not small. There's space for other people. The more people get in there, the more space. Creativity is not competitive. Doing what's right is not competitive. And I love that so much. And I know for me, a big like kind of mindset shift that I've been entering into and working on, I would say kind of start of pandemic time is that true feeling and knowing of abundance mm. and like not being in competition with other women in the space, you know, like finding ways to support each other instead because the line that you said, which is my favorite because I haven't heard people articulate it like this, the more people get in there, the more space. So I loved that. And I just wanted to ask you about the quote and see if there, are, you know, Twitter is a very quick way of expressing things, but I wondered if you could share just even a little more on, like, your personal connection to those words that you you wrote last night.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I think I've just been coming across this a lot lately where, like, I'm a very naturally competitive person. Like, I always want to mm. be the best. I want to, like, you know, I want to run as fast as I can. I want to, like, get better <laughs> at, like, my craft and whatever. But I think that, like, the the... The shift that's happened for me at this stage of my life is just recognizing that, like, I don't want people in my life, collaboratively, work-wise, personal life, family, any of it, who, like, see other people as competition, you know, and who think Mm -hmm. that there's scarcity. Like, I just do not believe in scarcity. And I think the people who believe in scarcity are the most fucking afraid, fragile people mm-hmm. who are on the defensive, who are hoarding things that are not rightfully theirs, and so that's mm-hmm. why they think that there's not enough for everybody because they're part of making creating the problem of not they're not being enough for everybody, you know?
0: Yeah.
1: And um I think that I'm just like not in that state of mind anymore and it's I genuinely believe that like Obviously, I will make mistakes on this. I, I'm not gonna be perfect, but like, I genuinely believe that there's room for everybody because it's like no one can. If your goal in life is to do the right thing, how can, if someone outrights you, that's great. Like, <laughs> cool. Like, they're doing more of the right thing, and then you're like, great. Like, I aspire to be like them, right? Mm -hmm. Or if somebody is like trying to be like, I don't want to be the best anymore. I just want to be like the most me at the highest level of craft that I possibly can Mm. be. And, I want to create an environment that allows that for other people. And so I'm like, how could anybody possibly, even if they want to compete with me, they can't compete with me because we're just, nobody else is the same as me. Like I'm a unique manifestation, right? Like, so, (laughs) so good fucking luck. Like, I don't know. I don't really
0: care. I love it. Um, I don't know. You know, I'm like, okay. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Definitely. I think that that's such an important way of looking at it. And and I think also like, a, like part of that shift for me was even just like every time you want to fall into like a scarcity mindset thing is just to remember like scarcity mindset to me is like what continues to keep people in power who are keeping all the resources from everyone else. And it's like, it doesn't actually have to be like that. We've just been told for so long that it, quote unquote, has to be like that. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. No,
1: I mean, you know, something my dad said that, like, really resonates for me is, like, m- my company, Dustlight, is not a way for, like, this idea of, like, profit and profiting a ton and, like, whatever like it's not, it's ultimately a vessel. It's a means to pay other people. And the more Mm. I recognize that, that like the company is not an entity in and of itself, as much as American corporate structure wants us to believe (laughs) otherwise, like the more I think my integrity and like my mission becomes clear. But, Mm. um, yeah, I just, I just, that's all I got to say to anybody who's like stressed out is like, just try to figure out who you are and then find a skill and get really good at that skill and then express who you are through that skill in a way yeah. that other people can understand and feel something and that's yeah that's it right that's both service and self-expression and integrity I guess it's not both it's all three of those
0: things <laughs> <laughs> all a, sy- a symbiotic yeah. relationship between all of them yeah uh i'm so glad you brought up your father because if i'm not if i'm not misremembering mis- there's this episode of tell them i am it's the the episode with way mm-hmm. um and you intro that episode with this this thing that your parents told you about heroes or idols um and I think it was, it was work until idols become rivals was a line that you well, were they, saying. Was that your father? Or no. Is that,
1: so they, my parents just were always like, oh, like people are just people. Was the mindset? Yeah. It, it, that yeah. was just a post-it that I had put on top of like my work oh, okay. at KPCC. Um, okay, but my my parents just always like as I was growing up were like you know all like whoever you idolize is just a person like they're not yeah they're not that special I mean neither are you but they're not above you in any way
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah I just remember there was like there was that intro where you were reflecting on that teaching of theirs. And I had written down like a few quotes to that and I was thinking, cause there was another one. And this was, I believe that you said, you were like, when we see that our heroes are people, we give ourselves permission to become heroes. And that was just like the mentality that you opened that episode with, which I wanted to ask you, like, I wonder if for you, has there been like a moment where you've started to see yourself on that other side of like, I see people approach you being like, I want to do what you're doing. And like, how does it feel to receive that? Because I'm sure you're a hero in many people's eyes based on what you're doing. Is that something that you personally identify with? Or like that feeling of like, I am just a person. I can be a hero.
1: Yeah. Like to me, I'm always going to be just a person. Like that's like, that's yeah. like. okay, I'm not in any way drawing a comparison between me and Jesus. But I'm just saying that. <laughs> At all. I am just saying, if you were going to, like, ask Jesus, like, do you feel like the son of God? Like, I'm pretty sure Jesus would be like, yeah, like, I still take a shit, you know? Like, I'm still a normal person. And, like, if you ask, like, Oprah, like, do you feel like like you're something above humanity? Like, no, we're all people. We have fears. And, like, you know, we worry about money and we worry about what other people think about us. And, like... Sometimes we look in the mirror and like, oh, God damn, like that tooth looks so ugly or whatever. Right. So, no, I don't see myself as above anything or anyone. No, no, that's not what I meant. But like, but yes, I do. I do. At the same time, I am recognizing that there are people looking up to me. And it is a really cool feeling and also a really scary feeling to like have people like, people who I, like, considered my heroes in the industry, like, know Mm -hmm. who I am and like my work
0: and, like... Oh, my God, yeah.
1: It's, like, so (laughs) crazy. Like, I'm like, what? Like, I grew up listening to Ari Shapiro on the radio, you know? To be Um, interviewed by Ari Shapiro twice, like, he probably has no clue. I think I told him maybe on Twitter once, but, like, that's so, that's, like, next level for me. And... Yeah. I'll never get over that. Like I'll never get over Krista Tippett being like she likes my podcast. Like I was like, Krista, I didn't oh even know God. you were listening. Like that's I would die. Yeah. That's that's <laughs> that's incredible. I'll never get over like President Obama's voice. Like, I there are certain things that like you just kind of yeah. forever will feel like they are my heroes. Um, but at the same time, when you start to see people up close and you start to like career wise, um get to a certain level you know you realize like okay they're just people we're equals yeah. and I think that also when people are looking up to you you understand what a, what an intense responsibility that is like I I was <laughs> twitter stalking one of our apprentices and I noticed how much she had <laughs> retweeted Dustlight and me and it just made me cry like I was like mm. like this means something to her this is an important part of her experience and it's shaping her view, at least on this industry, if not on work and herself. And like, I have a responsibility to do right by her. You know, I can't let this person down. Like this is, so I think that that's, you definitely feel that when you get to a certain stature in your career, for sure.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's the piece. And I think that's the piece that I was uh, curious about was recognizing that you're, you're starting to have influence and, being able to recognize that and own it, but own it without inflating it. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, there's a concept in Buddhist philosophy of like equanimity, which like is really dear Mm -hmm. to my heart. Um, Just this idea that like, obviously you don't want the bad things to get to you, but you also don't want success to, to get to your head you know Mm -hmm. and I think that that's something that I strive for always and it's much easier for me to keep a cool head in crisis or when when shit hits the fan or things are bad than
0: Mm.
1: when things are good I definitely let it get to my head a tiny bit but constantly (laughs) I'm aspiring to to have some level of equanimity even in in the good times
0: yeah well and and the self-awareness you have with it too is I mean that's all we can do you know next week on the Pod Bros.
2: Sometimes I'm like, are people going to come to my house? Like, are, you know, it's so easy to find people and stuff like that. But like, that's the part that scares me. But I'm like, as far as internet, I, I don't think you all would do that. There's some people that have too many boundaries, but I had to like do a thing where I was like, I mean, Because I'm so intense, I know the laws in my state, and I know that we got to make your day law here. So I just feel like maybe nobody would do that because they would know. But if you didn't know, I know. So, (laughs) but yeah, like there's like I feel like before that I was really scared to be online picked on or something or that you know a big account would choose me as my personal account that had under 500 followers at the time and like try to take me down or get me suspended or you know something like that because that's a huge thing on the internet right now so before that I had a lot of anxiety about that now not so much and they probably don't like it's almost like I did another ring on an apple watch or something like oh, okay that wasn't as bad as I thought it would be
0: that's Barry Syke, the creator of Podcast in Color, a amazing directory of podcasts made by people of color. And you'll get to hear our conversation, one that especially gets into some industry talk, next week. Make sure to follow and subscribe to the Podbroad's wherever you get your podcasts. That way, you'll never miss an episode. Let's get it. I'll call it So, Misha, would you rather be stuck in the desert for two nights straight with no source of light or <laughs> would you rather be at the top of Yosemite mountain alone in broad daylight with a bear? I mean,
1: definitely in the desert. I would rather be in the desert. <laughs> really? Yeah. Are you kidding? It's fine. At least I can like find a place to hide. Like with the bear, it's like There's not much space. I don't know where I would go. Like I don't. I you can't run from him. You can't. Like I don't have like. What is it? Is that the thing? Yeah. Long
0: or something. But how long long can I get? Like he probably has a
1: family. (laughs) Like no.
0: No, I'd rather be in the desert, in the dark, a lone, a lone bear. If it was just a lone bear and there's no promise of like there's no family around him, would that change? It's just it, or you unrealistic that? question. <laughs>
1: <laughs> if it's a lone bear a- that came <laughs> straight from the heavens onto Yosemite Mountain, no family. <laughs> um, no, I would still this pick the a- desert. I would pick the desert.
0: <laughs> I love asking like ridiculous. Would you rather say? I did it with kids I taught for like so many years, and it's. I feel like uh, adults don't get to like have ridiculous Would You Rather's enough. Yeah, and so it's it's, it's a it's
1: a deal. great way, <laughs> it's a great way to gauge somebody's um, real, priorities.
0: <laughs> Truly, it really is. Um, okay, uh, if your REI podcast was a dinner recipe, what would it be? <laughs> classic spaghetti with meat sauce
1: wait what i'm only saying that because it's like one of the freeze-dried foods that we had we just made a lot of jokes or like watery oatmeal with watery coffee (laughs) that's what i would be eating for dinner if my rei podcast was was food i don't
0: i don't know why but when i first heard that i just like envisioned you using watery coffee to make the oatmeal and I was like Ew <laughs> gross. Interesting. <laughs> that yeah, bad. water is low. Water emotional. is so low we have to use the coffee. We have to <laughs> regurgitate <the coffee>. oh. <laughs> No. Um of I, okay, this I'm sure is a very difficult question, but if you could narrow it down, I'm curious if like of all the places you did visit on this trip if you could only choose one to go back to, which would you go to again?
1: Okay. I have to qualify this answer. It would be Yellowstone, okay. but not because it was my favorite park, but because the snow okay. prevented us from exploring the park and hiking. Um, mm. And we were basically confined to like interviews and like um we were recording a lot of the video there. So yeah. I would go back to Yellowstone because I feel like I didn't get a chance to explore Yellowstone enough, but Mm. that it wasn't my favorite part i loved it but it wasn't my favorite i just yeah. want to say that so I'm okay. put that out there in case any parts <laughs>
0: are gonna get offended <laughs> um okay and i feel like i'm not asking fair questions right now now that i'm asking them but i'll just say not like favorite or most shocking but just like what is what's one like piece of information that you learned throughout this experience with hello nature that really sticks with you?
1: I think, no, I think this is a fair question. Um, I think I, as an immigrant, didn't quite understand the extent of the native American genocide and dispossession of land and that we are perpetuating a settler colonial state. Um, Mm the only equivalent of which in present day that I know of, or at least one of the equivalents would be what's happening in Palestine. Um, And I think that we don't look at America that way. And I've never looked at America that way. I've never looked at myself as a settler. Um, Mm. And this podcast and this experience completely changed how I view the country, how I view myself as an immigrant in this country. Um, And if there's... Something I could encourage other people to learn more about it's native history and not just the part about like, you know, contact with Europeans, but also like before that and after that and what present day native life looks like and, you know, what we can do to help them restore at least some semblance of the life that they had before America became a country.
0: Yeah, that's a piece I'm very much grateful for and enjoying on the podcast so far especially with a place like Yosemite where I've been and like that I mean sure I was eight so I don't remember a lot of it but I know that that wasn't necessarily a part of my experience of going to Yosemite when I initially went um and I knew nothing of the past there you know so I think that that's yeah that's that's great thank you um so where can my listeners uh find you and support the work that you're doing
1: um they can find me on instagram or twitter at m-e-u-c-e-p-h i may delete either or both at any point in time Really? (laughs) no guarantees i'm just like (laughs) perpetually in this like desire to like delete all social media forever um but until then until that day they can follow me on instagram or twitter or mishayusuf.com
0: our original music is produced by carrie blue the cover art was designed by elsa bermudez and everything else is produced and edited by me, myself, and I, Ms. Alexandra Cole. And you can follow me on Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, and Facebook at Poderland, and you can find out more of what I do at www.poderland.com. Sign up for my newsletter for more recommendations of women-hosted podcasts, related news, and special updates about this podcast. And finally, make sure to share this episode— tag us in it, like that shit, give it a review. Anything you do helps not just this podcast get more exposure, but also helps these women's voices be heard by way more people. And ultimately, that's my goal. So let's fucking do it.
1: think that uh oh sorry my headphones keep falling out of my ears (laughs) i don't know why it's okay